Hey there, everybody. Angela Bowen here, the host of Looking Back on My Wonder Years, a Wonder Years podcast, and also Punky Power, an unofficial Punky Brewster podcast, as well as a slew of other podcasts that I host. Also, there's too many to mention right now. Um, Silver Spoons podcast, a occasional Mr. Belvedere podcast, an occasional... Growing Pains podcast, which is once a month. Um, she's a small wonder, small wonder podcast. It's also once a month. The Oh My Lanta Holy Chalupas, an, uh, an unofficial Full House Fuller House podcast. And of course, the coming soon in January 2020, I Left My Heart in Everwood, an Everwood podcast. Which is basically an Everwood rewatch podcast, so. But did it today? <laughs> today I have a special treat for you. Since it is almost Halloween, we are uh, almost a week and a half out. As of Thursday, this week will be a week away from Halloween. I thought, what better cute, fun, family-friendly f- movie could I do other than? 1995's Casper. And if you're a teenage girl in the mid-90s, there is one particular teen heartthrob idol that comes to mind. And no, I'm not not talking about JTT because he was very, very popular with Home Improvement. No, the guy I'm talking about whose face grazed my walls, an entire wall dedicated to this guy, and that man, that guy is Devin Sawa, who even though he only has less than five minutes of screen time in this movie, he'd already been a name, what with Little Giants, Now and Then, the TV movie Night of the Twisters, he'd been in quite a handful of things. Also... 1997's Wild America, Idle Hands, Final Destination, the list goes on. There's also the TV movie Robin of Loxley, which also had Joshua Jackson from Dawson's Creek and the Mighty Ducks movies. A lot, a lot of Devin. Devin all over. So I am going to read the synopsis here that a person put on IMDb. An afterlife therapist and his daughter meet a friendly young ghost when they move into a crumbling mansion in order to rid the premises of wicked spirits. There are many other longer synopsises that I won't go into. This movie has a 6.1 out of 10 rating based on 110,064 ratings on IMDb. This movie stars Bill Pullman as Dr. Harvey, Christina Ricci as Cat. Short for Kathleen. Kathy Moriarty is Kerrigan. Eric Idle is Dibs. We have an appearance by Chauncey Lapardi, who you, if you guys were growing up in the 90s and all about the sports movies, because there was a ton of them from Mighty Ducks, The Sandlot. Chauncey Lapardi is from The Sandlot movie. He played Squints, who kissed. Wendy Peppercorn, he pretended that he drowned, she did CPR, and he kissed her full on the lips. Uh, this guy was also in the movie House Arrest with Sinbad, I remember that one too. Uh, Casper has a full house connection. 
a young boy named Malachi Pearson. If you remember the episodes Nerd for a Day and Misadventures in Babysitting, this boy played Brian Kagan, who is a classmate of Stephanie's and a boy who is babysat by DJ. This boy plays Casper. Played in some stuff here. He was in an episode of Highway to Heaven, The New Leave It to Beaver, an episode of Family Ties. He was in The Little Mermaid, uncredited slash voice. Brian Kagan in two episodes, both in season three. Season three, episode four, Nerd for a Day, and season three, episode 14, Misadventures in Babysitting. Played Rambo in Family Matters. I'm guessing that was a Halloween episode. Oh, I'm guessing uh, he's a boy that- this boy apparently is babysat by uh, characters on TJIF TV shows. Because Laura starts a babysitting service, apparently. <laughs> Great. He was in a movie called Suburban Commando? Which has Hulk Hogan and Christopher Lloyd, who has the craziest curly hair I've ever seen in my life. It's also on Baywatch. And step by step. So he's making his rounds, making his rounds on the TGIF shows. Cool, cool. After playing Casper in the movie, apparently he was also in the video game Casper Brainy Book. He reprised his voice as Casper. Uh, he played the voice of Casper, 52 episodes, in the spooktacular new adventures of Casper. What is this about? Continuing Adventures of Casper, The Trio, and The Harveys, based on the popular 1995 film. Oh, that's pretty cool. Checked out uh, YouTube. There's some episodes up there. This thing he did was in 2000. Cadet number one. Doesn't even get a real name. This kid's a year older than me? Oh my gosh. This episode... Why am I saying episode? <laughs> a movie. This movie was directed by Brad... Silberling. This guy directed three episodes of Doogie Howser. Three episodes of Brooklyn Bridge. The movies redirected City of Angels three years after Casper. Moonlight Mile. Lemony Snicket's a series of unfortunate events with Jim Carrey. That crappy Land of the Lost movie with Will Ferrell. i never seen it. Do you remember, um, kids of the 90s will remember the show. I think it came out on Saturdays. It was Land of the Lost, like the TV show, with the father and son and daughter who are driving a jeep. And then the road, like, collapses in front of them. And then they go down into this... Underneath the ground. And there's this whole new prehistoric world. There's a dinosaur named Tasha. There was a weird monkey boy figure. And there was a cave girl. A Tyrannosaurus Rex. There's actually episodes of the show on YouTube. We got some other character actors here. We got... Ben Stein making an appearance. We got Father Guido Sarducci. Well, that's a character played by Don Novello. F Mr. Rogers. So here are the voices of Stretch, Stinky, and Fatso. Joe Napote? N-I-P-O-T-E. Uh, he does the voice of Stretch. Joe Alasky? Does the voice of Stinky, and you'll recognize this voice. I did not even know this, but I am going to listen when I watch the movie. Brad Garrett of Everybody Loves Raymond fame, who played Robert, does the voice of Fatso. I had no idea. 
this guy's got such a distinct voice. I will definitely be listening for that. Um, we got a couple of uh, characters who um, were in 90s movies. Uh, we got Garrett Ratliff Henson, who is related to Eden Henson, who played Fulton on in the Mighty Ducks movies. We got this guy who plays Vic, Garrett Ratliff Henson. He also played Guy Germain, who dated Connie in the Mighty Ducks movies. We have a girl who, Jessica Wesson, who was in the movie Flipper with Elijah Wood. She also, for a few episodes, played Jennifer Sidarsky. Was it Sidarsky, I think? She was also in Boy Meets World. She dated Corey for a couple episodes before uh, he got with Topanga. Definitely you'll remember her as Brad's girlfriend on Home Improvement. Brad, played by Zachary Ty Bryan. Also, if you guys love the show Home Improvement, there is a really awesome podcast called Home and Podcast. It's really good. They've interviewed actors like um, <laughs> Richard Carn, who played Al, and also Patricia... Richardson, who played Jill, check them out. They're they're done with season covering season six, so they got like two more seasons left to go of the show. But it's really cool. It's hosted by two guys who really love Home Improvement. Uh, Jessica Weston was also in the movie Milk Money as well, prior to being in Casper. Uh, there are a couple spinoff movies, not really too much spinoff, just based on the name alone. Casper, A Spirited Beginning, 97 had Steve Gutenberg, Lori Laughlin, Rodney Dangerfield, and Casper Meets Wendy. Kathy Moriarty was in this? And Shelley Duvall? Okay, hold on a second. What? Casper, a ghost, teams up with Wendy, a witch against an evil warlock? So, Kathy Moriarty plays Jerry. Huh? Uh, Hilary Duff plays Wendy. Oh, that's adorable. I will not be watching these. First, Christina Ricci, off of her fame uh, from the Addams Family movie. She played Wednesday Addams. She was also in the movie Mermaids as her first acting credit, I believe. One of her first with uh, Cher and Winona Ryder. I've not seen Mermaids, but I heard it's a good movie. I really would like to check that out someday. From there, this is her first on-screen kiss with Devin Sawa. She will again get to kiss him in the movie Now and Then. So yeah, 1990, she was Kate Flax in Mermaids. 91, she was in The Addams Family. 93, she reprised her role again as Wednesday Addams. 95, she was in Casper's Cat. 95... She was also Roberta in Now and Then. She was in Gold Diggers, The Secret of Bear Mountain. She played Beth. I do have that movie, and I do one day plan to review that on the podcast. She played on a Simpsons episode as Erin, a friend of Lisa's from the summer of Four Foot Two, which is a good episode. She was in That Darn Cat. And also The Ice Storm, opposite Elijah Wood. She plays his love interest. The Ice Storm also has Tobey Maguire of the soon-to-be Spider-Man fame in the early aughts. 
Uh, Christina Ricci and Tobey Maguire play brother and sister. It also has Joan Allen, Kevin Klein, Jamie Sheridan, and Scorny Weaver. She was in the movie Pecker with Edward Furlong. That's a John Waters film. I've seen it. It was alright. And from there, she just got some movies. 200 Cigarettes, No Vacancy, uh, Sleepy Hollow, Katrina Van Tessel. Isn't much that I really watched her in. Um, I never saw the movie Pumpkin, but that was when I worked at the video store. I saw that played a lot. She was in seven episodes of Allie McBeal. Okay. Um, what was uh Monster? That I can't watch that movie. That movie f- freaks me out too much. Uh, the movie with her and uh, Charlize Theron. The movie Penelope from 2006 was a good movie. I really liked that. She was on the short-lived show Pan Am. She was also in the Lizzie Boarding Chronicles, which was on Lifetime, and also Escaping the Madhouse, the Nellie Bly story. Alright, we got some trivia. This is interesting. During filming, Bill Pullman and Christina Ricci had to talk to tennis pole tennis balls in place of the ghost while the ghosts were added on later, of course, with their CGI. Get a cameo from uh, Dan Aykroyd as Dr. Raymond Stance from Ghostbusters. He runs out of the house frantically screaming, Who are you going to call? Someone else. James and Cat Harvey are named after Harvey Comics, a longtime publisher of Casper the Friendly Ghost. Uh, Whipstaff Manor, the house that was used for that, was also used to film scenes from the Back Bo- uh, Street Boys music video, Everybody's Back. Most notably is the ballroom dance scene sequence from the music video. There was going to be a cameo when Dr. Harvey looked into the mirror. There are like many different faces. Um, what was it? Uh, Rodney Dangerfield, Clint Eastwood, I think maybe even Mel Gibson might have been in there. Steven Spielberg, uh, who produced this film, actually filmed this cameo, but it was cut for pacing reasons. And Steven Spielberg was relieved feeling that he was a terrible actor. For the scene where Casper drags Cat out the window, takes her to the lighthouse, Christina Ricci had a piece of fishing line tied to her wrist to give the appearance of being pulled by a ghost. A live-action sequel was proposed and a preliminary script was drafted when production wrapped. Unfortunately, Christina Ricci and Bill Pullman were attached to other projects and would not be available for more than a year. Series producers decided to produce a cartoon series instead with the spooktacular new adventures of Casper in 96. A scene was filmed with Zelda Rubinstein shooting out of a chimney shouting, Go toward the light! Reprising her role from Poltergeist, but it was cut. Oh, that would have been cool to see. Devin Sawa portrays Casper in human form. However, his voice is still provided by Malachi Pearson. Which I thought when I was watching this as a teenager, I mean, I picked up on that. Like, why is his voice different? Like, it just didn't feel weird. Like, I thought, like, maybe I was missing something. Like, oh, no, 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 it's the same. No, it's definitely not. (laughs) Casper's voice sounds almost childlike, like a young child. I mean, not that Devin wasn't a young child, because he was, like, 12 or 13 at the time. Maybe 14, I'm not sure. But, um, yeah. Imagine if Devin Sawa voiced Casper over Malachi. That would be kind of different. Original director Alex... Vision of the film was darker, less comedic, and more disconstructionist. Here's some of the other people that turned down the role of Dr. Harvey, who Bill Pullman eventually played. John Ritter, Tom Hanks, Dennis Quaid, Kurt Russell, Robin Williams, Jim Carrey, and Tim Allen were offered, but declined the role 
Wow. Um, I don't see how Tim Allen playing this would have made it good because it would have because he's more of a Disney esque type with you know the Santa Claus movie and the Shaggy Dog and Jungle to Jungle and all those other things. Robin Williams, another one he can play serious, but I'm just like, eh. plus wasn't Jumanji out around ninety five? I think it was. Jim Carrey, same thing. He can do some serious roles. Which, this one is also kind of serious, but also sometimes goofy. Um, Kurt Russell, Dennis Quaid. Mm, I don't know. I just saw Dennis Quaid in the Intruder movie, and I'm like, this is, you look so old. <laughs> he did not look good in that movie. Um, John Ritter, Tom Hanks, uh, maybe, maybe. I will never watch the Burbs movie. Um, it freaked me out as a child. The same thing with Blue Shop of Horrors, even though it's a musical. I just, I can't get that image out of my head of the plant wanting more of Seymour's blood and just saying, you don't have enough, I need more. Freaked me out as a child. John Ritter. What serious roles I've seen him in. Because he was in the Problem Child movies, which were comedies. He was also in the comedic show Three's Company. I mean, he, um, another movie, TV movie I watched, which was, um, a movie based off a Daniel Steele book, which was Heartbeat, where he showed a dramatic side. So that was pretty cool. But, I don't know, maybe, I mean, I'm not saying they couldn't do it, but... What do you think? Out of all these guys, if... Bill Pullman didn't take this role, and one of these other guys did. Who would you rather have take on this role? Bill Pullman and Daniel, or Daniel, <laughs> uh, Devin Sawa also appeared in The Guilty. I saw that movie because, like I said, I was a big, big Devin Sawa fan. It, the movie wasn't good. <laughs> it was not good. I don't even think it was in the theaters. Here's a little bit of a spoiler. Casper, who normally was a basic character in the comics, gets some background information in this film. His last name was McFadden, and he died from pneumonia at the age of 12. That's right, because he mentions that he got a new sled, and he was playing, like, all day and all night, and his parents kept telling him, like, come in, come in, it's too cold for you to stay out there. He was like, no, I was having too much fun. And then he got really sick, and his mom and dad got sad, and then it got really dark implied the cause of death for Casper was pneumonia. That's why they tell you to go outside with a hat and mittens. It's below zero. You don't need to be going outside sledding. You will the term catch your death. Wow. Alright, I'm gonna list there's a lot of taglines. I'm gonna list them and then we're gonna finally get into the movie. Who says there's no such thing as ghosts? The afterlife of the party. The haunt is on. Something unbelievable is in the air. Who did his hair? Okay, that one's stupid. Appearing soon. <sighs> no inhibitions, no limits, no table manners, no sheets. What? What? That one makes no sense. Coming at ya. Okay, that's stupid. Who's afraid of ghosts? <sighs> Catch the spirit of the 90s. That sounds like one that would be on the VHS box. Home is where the heart 
No, home is where the haunt is. Eh, maybe. And you thought your family was scary. You ain't screamed nothing yet. Mm. Casper's in the house. He's the life of the afterlife. He's ready for ghoul and unusual punishment. What in the world? That makes no sense. Let the haunt begin. Sometimes all you need is a little spirit. Get an afterlife. Seeing is believing. No such things as ghosts? Question mark. And haunting season opens May 26th. So just in time for summer. Some of those were clever. Some were off the walls. Made no sense. And I'm just, some of them are just like, what? This is really dumb. So, alright guys, without further ado, let's jump right into this movie. I'm excited. It's perfect movie for fall. So the movie opens, it's a dark night, we got two boys on bikes that are right outside the Whipstaff Manor, and they crawl underneath the, the gate, because of course it's closed up. And now we cut to the inside of the building, as the boys are arguing, like, I really don't want to do this, I don't want to go in there, the other one's like, don't be a wuss. And then they start arguing about who's going to take the picture. It's like, no, we both have to be in it because I want there to be proof of that I was here as well. So while they're arguing over who's going to take the Polaroid picture, Casper comes up because, you know, he's lonely and he's been waiting for someone to show up because he really wants a friend. You know, he's 12 and he's just hanging out in this lonely house with his weird, creepy three uncles who just torment him and mentally abuse him and he's like hey I'll take the picture and the boys freak out when they see Casper of course before they can take off Casper hits the button on the Polaroid camera and out pops a picture of the boys screaming in fear as they run out the door so now we cut to the lawyer's office where Ben Stein is the one who's preceding the will of Kerrigan's father. Kerrigan's dressed all in black with black sunglasses, a large black hat. You think she was related to the Adams family. And also her, I don't know what you want to call dibs, whether he's a sidekick or he's just her advisor or whatever he is but apparently Kerrigan's father has left a lot of money to a lot of different organizations he really cares about animals the save the dolphins foundation gets 11 million dollars save the pumas foundation 1.2 million Patagonian wasps salvation fund 1.4 million as Kerrigan puts out her lit cigarette on that nice oak table in that office to the dyslexic Dalmatians foundation they get like four point whatever because Kerrigan finally cuts him off and says to hell with the livestock what did the old stiff leave me like okay she clearly does not have a great relationship with her father or she just hates this man like wow so Dibs is trying to clarify or um to Mr. Benstein the lawyer that the grieving Kerrigan here as the only daughter of her only father wants to know how much he left in her bank in her life. 
So Dibs is kind of trying to make it sound like um, she actually cares. Like, put it in more sympathetic terms than what the old stiff leave me kind of term here. So, still going down the list of the animal foundations. We got bobcats, owls, snakes, daughter Kerrigan. Okay, here we go. Whipstaff Manor in Maine. And Kerrigan whips off her sunglasses like, and? Like, what else? And the lawyer, she's like, and I'm late for lunch. So, if you'll excuse me, goodbye. What in the- oh my goodness, this lady hates her father. She's like, are you telling me I just wasted the last two days holding his clammy hand, waiting for him to kick? All I get in return is one lousy piece of property. And, of course, the lawyer is not cutting any corners here. He says, no, it was lousy 50 years ago. Now it's basically condemned. So, of course, Kerrigan's not happy with the results of what she got. As she says, I'm going to drag you and all those damn dolphins into court. I'm going to contest this. He's like, yeah, whatever. Knock yourself out. I'm going to Panera Bread. So, of course, Kerrigan turns on Dibs, her lackey. Like, this is all your fault as usual. And if you would have just forged the dang will like I wanted you to, I wouldn't be in this mess. So, he's like, yeah, this is seafront property. Kerrigan does not care. She just takes that folder full of important papers, chucks it into that burning fireplace. He's like, no, Kerrigan, the deed's in there! As he goes to try to pull it out, all the papers have just slipped right out of this manila folder, and we see something that says buried gold something treasure hold? Buccaneers and buried gold whipstaff Dolpha treasure hold. So it's like a riddle. That's cool. This makes me think of Lord of the Rings where you put that ring in there and then the writing is like on the inside of the ring or the outside of the ring. It's been a while since I watched the Lord of the Rings, the Fellowship of the Ring. But I remember it's like you gotta throw it in the fire and that way the inscription will pop up on it. Poor Dibs. My heart goes off to this guy. I mean, come on. She's just dragging him around like a dog on a leash. I knew there was money in this place after- Okay, there's a treasure there. I'm gonna find it. Dibs is like holding his burned hand like, I think I need a doctor. She grabs his hand and yanks him out the door saying, there are plenty of those in Maine. So Kerrigan and Dibs enter Whipstaff Manor. It's dark. There's no electricity. Dibs is lighting a lighter. And we see Dibs has got a cast on his hand or it's wrapped in gauze. And Cynthia, that lighter, of course- he lights his hand on fire. He's like, wow, this place, you could, it's fabulous. You could do so much with it. And Kerrigan turns and is like, Dibs, really? And then she arches over like, your hand is on fire. Your already burned hand is now aflame. So Casper sees uh, there are a couple newbies here. They're adults. He's like, hello. And Dibs lights the lighter again. It's like, who's there? And he's like, I'm afraid I can't answer that. So Dibs is like, why not? He's like, uh, it's kind of hard to explain. So Kerrigan's like, ask him if he's the caretaker. Dibs is like, are you the caretaker? And Casper's like, no. So Kerrigan's like, is he a transient? Are you a transient? Basically like a homeless person. And Casper's like, well, no, not exactly. So Kerrigan's like, tell him to show himself. So Dibs is like, show yourself. And Casper's like, okay, but if I do, you gotta promise not to scream. 
So Dibs is like, are you a burglar? Because if you are, I am armed. And he pulls out his little flip phone cell phone that was rare in the 90s. I mean, if you had, like, megabucks back then, you had a flip phone that barely got any reception. So Kerrigan is like, okay, enough of this. If you don't show yourself right now, I'm going to have you arrested for trespassing. And Casper's like, all right, all right. Like, here I come, as he slides down the banister. He's like, hi, I'm Casper. It's like, aw, he's so cute. Of course, what do Dibs and Kerrigan do? They scream. And he's like, no, 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 you don't want to do that. Oh, you'll wake up my, oh, too late. You just woke up my uncles. Basically, Kerrigan and Dibs run out of the house screaming, and they get in their car and they're all, like, off. Now we have Father Guido Sarducci with this huge silver cross that hangs from below his chest all the way down to his waist. Yeah, they called for basically, like, an exorcism. So Kerrigan, of course, is like, well, do you have any experience? He's like, well, no, not actual experience. But, you know, I've talked to people who've done it. I've seen videos. I feel very confident with my knowledge. Like, I could do it. No problem. Kerrigan's like, well, then you can handle this. He's like, it's a no problem. He's like, it's like a no problem whatsoever. Piece of cake. Piece of crumb cake. (laughs) I love that. Piece of crumb cake. (laughs) So Kerrigan just is like, well, get on with it then, like... After you. <laughs> yeah. Let me just say this guy does not last long. <laughs> Kerrigan and Dibs, like, duck behind her, her vehicle. Like, oh boy, let's see how this is gonna go. So, he goes up there, and you hear this creepy laughter from Stretch Stinky and Fatso. The guy comes out, and it's really bad CGI, because they basically turned his head around to where he's now... Like, his head is where his his back is. They turned his head right around. The guy was smoking a cigarette the whole time, too. And, of course, this is some weird... Pale, greenish, brownish, yellowish slime on him. Which doesn't even look real at all. It just... So she's like, well, how did it go? And the guy turns around so he's actually facing them, but his back is facing them. Says, oh, it was a no problem. It was a piece of cake. And the guy walks off. As we cut to the stairs in the entryway of Whipstaff Manor, and we see a few chairs and a table being thrown out past the porch onto the stairs. Because now they had Dan Aykroyd. Like, who are you going to call? Someone else. Dan Aykroyd's got a mustache. I don't think I've ever seen him with a mustache. He is wearing the Ghostbusters uniform. So now they got construction workers there because Carolyn now just wants to rip this place from the ground. And just like, oh, they can't haunt a pile of rubble, these ghosts. And of course the ghosts where you got the construction workers, they all run off. Casper is like, wait, 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 no, they were just kidding. I mean, honestly, oh, poor guy, just wants some friends. So Casper's watching Mr. Rogers. And Mr. Rogers is talking about, you know, being different, and most people feel that way, and you're not alone. You should be glad to be yourself. And Casper is just watching the television, flipping through the channels. Now we got an old Looney Tunes cartoon, as old Granny here is like screaming about a goo 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 ghost. Now we move to the show Hard Copy. So the news anchor here, if you want to call her a news anchor or host or whatever she is, talks about 
Dr. James Harvey, who's a therapist to the dead. And you see his picture pop up in the right-hand corner with a yellow background above that says Ghost Shrink in black letters. So we cut to what looks like a ranch-style house somewhere in the desert. Just flat plains. A white sign that says Dr. James Harvey MFCC. And the lady's kind of saying, like, are you lonely? Do you need someone to talk to? No problem if you're a ghost. And it has this haunting music that makes you think you're watching Unsolved Mysteries. So Casper, of course, the whole time was kind of watching a little bit with his his chin in his hand. Like, I don't know about this. You know, he's probably seen other people that have come on as, like, they're not real, they're fakes. And we see the interview with Dr. Harvey. He's like, you can call them ghosts if you like, or as I prefer, the living impaired. Interesting. He's like, the bottom line, they need help sometimes, just like the rest of us. So we find out that Dr. Harvey is a, uh, he's a widow. Yeah, unexpected why death of his wife Amelia, who's played by Amy Brennan. You do get to meet her towards the end of the movie. And he, I guess, at one point was a conventional psychiatrist. And eventually he learned, you know, started talking to the dead, supposedly. As a way to try to cope in hopes that maybe he could find his his dead wife. Scott! We see him with a picture of his dead wife on a table with a lit candle, a Bible, and what looks like could be an occult sign or most likely a Ouija board. It's really dark. And then we see his daughter, Kat, who's sitting on a street corner while people walk past her, almost making it look like she's a homeless waif. So the interviewer goes on to say that Doc Harvey travels from town to town searching for paranoid ghosts. The moment that Casper sees Cat on the TV, his eyes get... I mean, if emojis existed, they would he would be having heart eyes right this moment. So he's searching for paranoid poltergeist, scared specters, the depressed, and the dead. So of course these people are hassling Cat. Like, how do you feel about what your father does for a living? Some guy... And she's heading to school. Like, what in the world? Cat is all like, look, can you please not ask me any questions? Because there is like a a fence dividing them because she's in a schoolyard. <laughs> this guy's just rambling off questions. Do you believe in ghosts? Ever seen one? Does your father ever hurt you? And she just looks at them, rolls her eyes like, uh, he's my father. Like, what? This is hard copy. I guess they want really hard-hitting stories. Hence the name, hard copy. They want the stories that no one else is, that everyone else is afraid to tell. The facts. They're trying to rival with Unsolved Mysteries and Rescue 911 and um, America's Most Wanted. They're like trying to be a combination of all three. So, Kate, Kat, excuse me, finally says, Look, can you guys, it's the first day of school. I'm going to have a lot of homework. Can you guys please just like get out of here? Ugh. And right away, Casper's like, Kerrigan. He figures, okay, if I can get to her and convince her and show her this program with this guy on here, she can bring him on here to this Dr. Harvey, and also he will bring his daughter Kat, and I can hopefully have a friend or a girlfriend. Kerrigan's holed up in this hotel, well, motel, it looks, it could even be a bed and breakfast for all I know. <laughs> and she's like, look, I've had a long and trying day. She's 
men talking to I don't know whether it's room service or whoever it is that she doesn't like fish. You know, don't you people have cows? So she must be in friendship Maine still. Like she hasn't left. So she's like, "Do you think you could bring me a pint of Häagen-Dazs ice cream, rum raisin?" So I'm guessing Häagen-Dazs has rum raisin and a Diet Pepsi. Hey, maybe she's thinking of making a float. That would be interesting. I mean, I maybe they go together. I mean, are you going to be sipping out of a a Diet Pepsi can while you're scarfing down a pint of Häagen-Dazs? Maybe Maybe she's going to make a float. A Haagen-Dazs rum raisin diet Pepsi float. Okay, so I looked it up. They, a Haagen-Dazs does have rum raisin ice cream. It says, we soak plump raisins in rum and add pure sweet cream for a rich, flavorful experience infused with just, with just the right hint of warmth. Like rum raisin cake or something like that. I'm sure there is. Of course, Casper makes his way over to Kerrigan's place via the telephone wires, and now he's got control of the television that he's wheeling it over to Kerrigan, who's in the bathroom while it's still playing Dr. James Harvey's interview. So basically, Dr. Harvey's saying they can pack up their emotional baggage and move on, hence the ghost. Now we have a woman whose face is blurred out. So at least there's an example of a patient that he's had who has had Dr. Harvey vanquish her unhappy husband from her apartment, this patient of his. Dr. Harvey mentions how ghosts are simply spirits without resolution without with unfinished they have unfinished business so while on the phone kerrigan says get me santa fe which apparently is where dr harvey was residing at the moment now we get him and cat traveling to friendship maine so Dr. Harvey, I'm just going to call him Dr. Harvey. Uh, he's like, honey, look, I know you're having a hard time with this. I'm sorry, but I got to go where the ghosts are to get money for us. And Kat is just, she's frustrated. And she's like, try explaining afterlife therapy to a bunch of junior high kids. And she mentions in two years, she's been to nine different schools. Nine. Oh, that's like... 4.5 schools in the course of a year. That's insane. Who does that? So just like Casper, Cat says she wants to just be in one place long enough to make a friend. Like, she wants to set down roots, basically, and just stay put for a while. I love how Cat is like, a single guy your age, because like, who knows, maybe I might make a friend. She says, a single guy your age is more likely to be held up in a bank or a bank hostage than to, quote-unquote, make new friends. As in, like, find someone and get remarried or whatever. And he makes a crack about how, oh, you sound just like your mother. So Kat is pretty right on the nose here. When she, her dad, you know, they're driving, he's driving and she looks at him like, Dad, you're not going to find her. Mom's not a ghost. And her dad's like, yes, she is. She has unfinished business. And Kat just kind of says, you know, I don't believe in ghosts. 
So her dad pulls the car over and says, look, you go with me this one last time, I promise. If I don't find what I'm looking for, it's over. And we will settle down somewhere and just stay put. No more moving, no more ghost mining. And she's like, "Are you, you promise? Seriously? He's like, I promise. And she holds out her pinky. Now remember the pinky promise because that will come back much later in the film. See a sign that says Los Angeles, 843 miles. It's like, but Maine is in the other direction. If they were going from Santa Fe, why are they going to El... I don't know. I don't know. Oh my gosh. Those beautiful trees. Oh, they're so beautiful. The colors. They're so blinding. We see a sign that says Friendship Maine. Population. I can't make that out. I think it might have said over 3,000, but I can't really tell. I can't tell if there's three digits, there or four. So they pull up to Whipstaff Manor. The sign isn't even up. It's like the wooden sign is on the ground. And you get a shot of the manor, and it is just, the skies are dark and gloomy. A really spooky atmosphere. So, uh, Kerrigan Crittenton, her last name is Crittenton, drives a Range Rover. She's like, I'm Kerrigan Crittenton, and, and this is Dibs. Like, who cares? He's not important, basically. And, of course, Dibs is polite, shakes Dr. Harvey's hand and says, I'm a close personal friend. I'm like, are you? Because you seem more than anything like a lackey who is at Kerrigan's, you know, beck and call for whatever reason. There's nothing wrong with that. It's like, Dibs, you could be doing so much more with your life. What does she have on you? Is she blackmailing you? This guy is cool. He's awesome. You could be, like I said, he could be doing so much more with his life. What does he do? I think she's blackmailing him and that's why he's working for her. So Dr. Harvey introduces Kat and he's like, she tells him like, oh yes, I'm his close personal daughter. <laughs> and right away, Dibs and Kerrigan are hovering over Kat and Kerrigan's got Kat's shoulder in like this death grip vice. Like, oh, how nice to meet you, Kat. And Dibs is like, very nice to meet you. And she's like, side I'm like, ah, 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 let me go. <laughs> Kerrigan even grabs Kat's chin. Like, oh, let me look at you even more closer. You have a beautiful doctor, do or daughter, Dr. Harvey. And Dibs is like, very beautiful. As he pulls Kerrigan's hand that's still attached to Kat's face, like, towards him. She's like, I can't tell you how happy we are to have you here at Whipstaff. And Dibs is like, very happy. And they keep jerking her face back and forth. And finally, Kat's like, you're kind of hurting my face. And replace kind of with R. Kerrigan's got some nails on her. Oh my gosh. How is Kat's face not bleeding? I gotta say, I don't know. I love Dibs. She goes, um, Kerrigan goes over to Dr. Harvey, like, okay, let's talk time frame here. What are we looking at? Like, just tell me you go into the house and spray. And Dibs is like, like a little bug spray can. <laughs> he's, he's just miming. And Dr. Harvey breaks it to him, like, well, it kind of depends on the ghosts. Uh, he breaks it down, like, is it with a traditional psychological cure can take weeks or years for and of course that is not what Kerrigan wants to hear from him 
And she's like, blah, 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 blah. You didn't just say years, did you? And he's like, well, it's conceivable. And she's like, uh, no, 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 it isn't. And she wags her finger in, her fa- in his face. She starts listing at her fingers. Days is conceivable. Weeks, maybe. Dibs is like, possibly. Years, forget it. And Dibs is like, forget it. <laughs> he's like her yes man. <laughs> Oh, Kerrigan's pretty much like, okay, the conversation's over. Dibs, check. As she takes the check and tells Dibs, also, get the bouquet. She got him flowers? Dr. Harvey just looks really stressed out as Kerrigan is basically threatening him with, I'll be watching you very closely. Dibs, oh no, Kerrigan hands Dr. Harvey this huge bouquet of flowers in a really heavy you can hear the ceramic the water inside of the ceramic vase that looks like a seashell you can hear that like moving around in there like these are for you and Dibs is like have a lovely night like oh you have no idea what's in store for you as soon as you walk into that house we know we've experienced it and now you are gonna have to experience it but you're an experienced ghost hunter so you know a good chunk of Cat's possessions are carried around in a black hefty bag. And Dr. Harvey's got, I'm guessing that's either his or Cat's sleeping bag. As they walk in and they just drop the stuff on the floor. Like, they, they're just trying to take in everything. There's no electricity, but there's just a bit of light left. That is like, wow, the, the place is huge go up to like the next or the top floor we got Casper up there he's really trying to practice how he's going to make the introductions of himself reveal himself because he wants to make a good impression the last people whenever he's seen them revealed himself to them they've freaked they've screamed typical behavior this is a little different granted he's probably thinking Dr. Harvey is familiar with ghosts should be no problem his daughter cat who i'm really trying to impress is the whole reason i I brought dr harvey here i gotta be a bit careful with that because he's 12 and he likes girls he's got a crush on cat very obvious casper is rehearsing what to say the electricity comes on we see cat and dr harvey in somewhere i don't think it's a basement because we haven't seen that yet but it's where the fuse box is and she's like well this should hold for now but we ought to get a box of 20 amps in the morning which it's great that cat is skilled in this area but dr harvey's like oh yeah 20 should be uh good (laughs) think about while he's out you know supposedly vanquishing you know spirits and ghosts and whatnot Cat is the one who's probably holding down the fort at whatever place they move into temporarily. You know, cooking the meals, paying the bills, changing the fuses, all that good stuff. Dr. Harvey suggests, hey, why don't you go pick out a room upstairs? And she's like, alright, if I'm not back in a certain amount of time, send a search party. The cat walks past this tall grandfather clock, not noticing that there are eyeballs in it. Casper's face. Because the thing is taller than she is. So she's, eh, grandfather clock. Covered in cobwebs and dust. So the first room that Cat goes into, we see three wooden carved out beds that have names 
carved into the headboards. We got Fatso, we got Stretch, we got Stinky. I love Cat's line of, man, they had cruel parents. So how interesting that the room that Cat did pick out happened to be Casper's old bedroom. He's like, oh my gosh, there's a girl in my room on my bed. And he's like, yes, I'm like, buddy, you're 12, relax. You don't need to hit that that peak zone for at least, like, five more years. So Dr. Harvey brings up Cat's stuff, a couple cardboard boxes that say Cat on the side, and he opens one of the boxes, and of course, Amelia's picture is in there, Cat's mom, and he's just staring at her picture, and Cat quickly just takes it like, oh yeah, mom's picture goes over here on the nightstand, thank you. So he's just trying to make himself useful. Here, help, let me help you unpack. And I'd be like, look, if I were a cat, I'm like, look, Dad, I can do this myself. I've done it many, many times before without your help. I can do it. He's just trying to make himself useful. And Cat's like, why bother? We'll just be already packing in two weeks anyway. Because he probably said, hey, why don't you put some stuff up, make it feel like home. She knows the drill. It's like, we're going to be gone in two weeks anyway. Why make this feel like home when I know it's not? Okay, so that sleeping bag was for her. She's got it rolled out on the bed because there are no sheets on that bed yet. And Casper, of course, was like on the bed and then turns into a pillow that Cat is laying against and just starts like punching it and stuff. It's like, you didn't lay a pillow down. Wouldn't you be a little concerned? Like... There was no pillow here. Now, yeah, I feel a pillow underneath me. Plus, Casper's, like, cold, he reveals later. Like, oh, you're so cold when, you know, they actually, you know, touch hands. And, oh, well, no, her hand, like, goes through him. But it's like, wouldn't she be like, oh, wow, it's a cold pillow. I like cold pillows, but I don't like them that cold. She's basically punching Casper in the face without realizing it. Oh, there's a box that says cat's junk. <laughs> Cat's on the floor going through her clothes, smelling dirty socks, looking at her shoes. She throws a stinky sock behind her, which lands in Casper's mouth. He's because he was like trying to decide like, how he wants to introduce himself. He's like right behind her. And he spits out the sock, which hits her in the back, and she's probably like, What in the And she turns around, sees him, and her eyes just get ah! Because he's like, uh, hi. No, she actually faints is what happens. Her eyes go cross-eyed for a minute and she just, boom, falls on the floor. Oh, it's got to be better than screaming. But he goes into the bathroom, gets some water, and just wrings his body out over her face. And she comes to. So, of course, her scream leads her father to come running up the stairs. Like, Honey, what's wrong? What's wrong? She's dead. Oh, my God, I saw a ghost. He's like, oh. <laughs> yes, of course. Yes, you saw a ghost. Here, let me check under the bed and in the closet. He's basically patronizing her. Like, oh, honey, don't worry. I'll take care of it. I'm a ghost hunter. I know, Dad. I mean, I actually saw a ghost. He opens a closet door and it's like, see, there's no ghost there. Casper's there. And Casper's all like, pleased to meet you, sir. And you know right then and there that Dr. Harvey is a fake he's not real because why would he flip out and scream when he lays eyes on casper yeah so now he's carrying cat over his shoulders he's running 
freaked out. And she's like, Dad, what are you doing? This is insane. I can walk, you know. Jeez. So, Dr. Harvey just has a cat hiding in the closet. Like, don't open the door for no nothing. No matter what you hear, don't open this door. Like, what are you gonna do? You got spooked by Casper. He's a 12-year-old teenage preteen ghost. Casper's upstairs banging his head into the uh, bedpost. Like, ugh, idiot. Stupid, 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 stupid. The window opens, and of course, now we meet Fatso, Stretch, and Stinky, who have been hanging out, just painting the town white in their ghostly selves, having a good time, going to the races, all that stuff. Who are these guys? They cannot be his uncles. They're abusive mentally, physically. Stretch or stinky or whichever one is like shoving his head through hand, arm through Casper's head. Casper's trying to like get them out of the house because they don't know that Cat and Dr. Harvey are there. Like, hey, and they're saying, why aren't you doing your chores, Casper? Why aren't you making us dinner? We're wasting away here, Casper. Just very, like, basically he's like their child slave. They keep calling him, like, bulb head or bulbous head or whatever. It's like, just jerks. They turn, like, Casper into an accordion and one of them is playing him like an accordion while singing this Harvest Moon song. They, like, stretch Casper out almost like a slingshot, and he just boom, right up to the moon. So of course, it doesn't take long for that trio to figure out that there's someone else besides them and Casper in that house as Dr. Harvey's like, hello? And there's the evil grins. It's really creepy. So they freak out Dr. Harvey with their red eyes and their fangs and then he passes, Dr. Harvey passes out and they all three of them go inside or into Dr. Harvey's mouth. So when Dr. Harvey comes to, he's putting water on his face, looking in the mirror, that's where the different celebrity cameos come in. First one up is going to be Clint Eastwood. I'm gonna kill you and your mama and all her bridge playing friends. Oh, Did he actually say that in a movie? Rodney Dangerfield is the next one saying, You think you got it tough? I got a facelift. There was one just like it underneath. R.I.P. Rodney Dangerfield. <laughs> I never really found him fun. I mean, I liked the movie Ladybugs. Bugs. It had Jonathan Brandis in it and Jack Kay and stuff like that. It was. Oh, and it had the mom from Mr. Belvedere in it, who played uh, Jonathan Brandis' mom and the fiancé of Rodney Dangerfield's character. We also get a Mel Gibson character that is impressed by his reflection, and then the last one we get is the Crypt Keeper from Tales of the Crypt. Did anyone else watch Tales from the Crypt? That was a creepy show. Of course, he puts his hand, the Crypt Keeper does, up to his face and goes, ah! <laughs> <laughs> Just almost like Macaulay Culkin from Home Alone. <laughs> we get a lot of slapstick humor as Dr. Harvey's... 
like walking backwards, steps into a mop pail. Then there's a shower, supposedly. I guess, yeah, he's in the bathroom and he opens the shower curtain to reveal supposedly Fatso taking a shower and he screams and there's so much slapsticking it. I, I mean, I get it. It's, it's a kid's movie. It's for the kids. They're going to laugh at this stuff. They wrap Dr. Harvey up in a carpet and just run him down the stairs. How is he conscious? Oh my gosh. I mean, that's a lot of stairs. And he's taking, it's basically the, the carpet on the stairs, the run, whatever you want to call it. It's just, it came unhinged, unstapled from the floor and just boom, 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 boom. And he is fully conscious and able to stand up as the trio whip out these swords that cut Dr. Harvey's pants off and reveal his boxer shorts. So while Dr. Harvey's battling it out with the trio, we got Casper helping Kat get out of the closet. She trips and falls onto him. He says, hi, are you okay? And she, of course, screams in his face. But Dr. Harvey gets smart and takes the vacuum cleaner and sucks up the trio. And they're stuck in there in the vacuum bag. I don't get it. So it's the next morning. Kat has got a dustbuster in hand. So that way if she needs to fight off the trio, which is what I'm now referring to, Stinky Stretch and Fatso. I'm just calling them the trio. And she enters the kitchen and sees Casper. Before she can let out a scream, Casper wraps himself around her mouth so that way she won't freak out. Because he says, look, my uncle's really cranky and if you wake them up, it's going to be a madhouse. It's going to be really bad. So he's like, I will let you go. But you got to promise not to scream. So when he releases... Her from his grasp she immediately sticks a hand to her cheek and is like you're so cold <laughs> so he makes a joke like yeah you can save on the heating bill that way and Kat mentions because he pulls out a chair for her and she's a little hesitant like it's alright just sit down and she's like wow I can, I can see right through you he's like yeah well that's kind of how it is when you don't have any skin and she asks what he's made out of. And he's like, well, you know that tingly feeling when your foot falls asleep? And I'm like, oh my god. Yeah, like when you're, you lose circulation. Because <laughs> there's no blood flowing to your foot. <laughs> yeah, it's kind of like that. Like, yeah, I think I'm made of that. Like, I don't, <laughs> I wouldn't want to be made of that. He's made of lack of circulation. So it's 7.15 a.m. She is an early riser. I don't get up before, like, 10 o'clock. Maybe 9.30. Unless I have an appointment, I have to be somewhere, like, before 8 o'clock. Which rarely ever happens. He's making her breakfast. Eggs, orange juice, toast. So, of course, they end up making contact. She's a little nervous, like, can you hurt me? And he's like, no. He asks, can I hurt you? And he's like, no, not really. And, uh, she's, 90s was all about, like, the finger jewelry, right? She's got a thumb ring on. And they put out their palms to, to touch, and her hand basically goes right through Casper's hand. 
And you hear the Casp that hauntingly beautiful Casper theme. Of course, while they're making this connection, who happens to walk into the kitchen but Dr. Harvey, kind of interrupting things. So Casper immediately freaks out like he was caught kissing her or something. Like, oh, uh, good morning, Dr. Harvey. Uh, do you want some breakfast? I'm like, buddy, it's all right. He didn't see anything. You're just touching hands. But then again, if you think about it, Casper, or whatever his real name was, we don't learn his first real name, but he's from a time where that was probably as far as you got right away, and he he's 12, so. Dr. Harvey, Harvey is still a little freaked out at seeing Casper, because he's a big ghost, but he's a fake. He's a fake. And uh, he does sit down, Casper's like, hey, I got pancakes for you, big Short stacks of pancakes. We got the trio coming in, yelling at Casper again. Why are you feeding the the humans here when we haven't been fed? It's like, oh my god, this poor kid. So the trio, one of them calls Harvey and Cat, or Dr. Harvey and Cat, air-sucking intruders. And Casper serves the trio their breakfast, what is just piled high with, like, Twinkies and donuts and whatnot. And they're just stuffing their faces. And Kat and Dr. Harvey are just looking on, like, whoa, the fact that we're sharing a table with these three jerks. Food is just going right through them. And Casper, being all polite, because, you know, he's got, you know, guests here. He's got a pan and whisk room. And they're like, the trio's like, what are you doing? Why are you cleaning up? What if we want to eat some of that later? The stuff that's all on the floor now. And it all looks like it's digested, but it's like they're ghosts. I don't get that. So, I guess it's, it's got to be Stretch is the one that is really on Casper all the time. And he turns himself into a running shoe and just kicks Casper. Cat. And Dr. Harvey, of course, are bent over underneath the table watching this go on. And Cat's, like, had enough. Like, you guys are disgusting, obnoxious creeps. And, of course, the trio takes that as a compliment. It's like, what is your problem? He's just cleaning the floor. And, of course, we got Stretch, who's all, shut up, skin bag. And, of course, this is PG, so Cat can tell them to piss off. Like, are you in England? Because I think they'd say that a bit. Piss off. So they get to almost like an insult contest here where uh, Stretch is like, take a hike. And Cat's like, get a grave. And Dr. Harvey, meanwhile, is pulling on Neil Cat's sleeve like, please don't. Don't push, don't piss them off, basically. We have to live here. Until we get rid of them. So you're just aggravating them, Cat. Go to school, please. So he gets Cat out of the kitchen and on her way to school. And he shuts the door, looks at the trio, and they're all just still sitting there stuffing their faces. like And chewing like very slowly, like side-eyeing him with major irritation. Like he's just an inconvenience being there. So he tries to reaction, you know, calmly, like a therapist, and like, you guys really shouldn't be here. I'll let you finish your meal, then we can go into my office and start the process of crossing over. And in their answer to that, they just throw a big hunk of digested food at him. A kid is minding your own business, 
on the sidewalk going to school and we got Gay Germain who's playing Vic is like hey how's it going as he passes her on his bike but of course we get freaking Jennifer from Home Improvement playing I forgot her name already I don't like this. Oh, I really don't like this girl. This actress seems like whatever she's always been in has always been a brat. She even started that way in the movie Flipper, but eventually uh, she started to turn on to be nice. But really, watch it! And she practically runs Cat over, who has to duck into somebody's driveway to avoid getting hit. Oh, the girl's name is Amber. That's what it is. So Vic is all like, hey, Amber, wait up. And then he grins at Cat. Of course, she grins back at him. So, we'll see later. This is Amber Vic situation. He's not her boyfriend. It's more of she, or he is Amber's lackey. It's basically a Carrington Dibs situation with these two. A cat's in the hallway trying to open up her locker. Pain in the butt comedy. Hated that crap. Of course, as she lifts the lever, it's not given. But Vic, whose locker just happens to be right next to hers, pounds on it a couple times and boom, pops right open. Like, clearly this school does not have money for decent lockers. Or it's been used so many times that the combination is basically stripped from it. Ugh, stupid thing. And he says he had the locker last year. You get new lockers every year? I had my locker freshman year, and I had that all four years of high school. Granted, she's in, like, eighth grade or seventh grade or whatever. So, sweet introductions here. Like, my name's Vic. She like, my name's Kat. Granted, Amber is right frickin' on the other side of Vic. Like, coming, Vic, my little lap dog. I got your leash all ready for you. So, before Kat is properly introduced just yet... Uh, there's a matter of the asbestos in the gymnasium, which is causing a delay of the Halloween dance that is coming up. The teacher says it'll the dance will have to be pushed back a couple months. It's like, by then you'll be celebrating Christmas and it'll be a Christmas dance. How much asbestos are we talking here? Uh, Amber, of course, ever the popular girl, loves to... Get everyone on her side with her parents' new boathouse, which apparently will be big enough to host the entire 8th grade, which most likely consists of that entire room of 20-plus students. When I think boathouse, I don't think as in huge maximized amount of space. I think Simpsons Cape Fear episode from season 4. Where the Simpsons are living on that houseboat because Sideshow Bob is trying to kill Bart Simpson. And it's just basically the width of a trailer. So I checked out some pictures. It looks like basically an RV on the water. It's like, this is a dance, right? Where people are actually going to be, like, dancing together. None of the pictures I'm seeing... Unless this houseboat is an actual yacht, which I'm sure there's plenty of room to dance on a yacht. For my uh, senior all-nighter in Chicago, we were on a yacht that had a dance floor and stuff like that. But uh, she said houseboat, and this is Maine, so 
I have no idea. So the guy, new student he's going to introduce, has the name right there. He's like, Harvey Kathleen. I'm like, are you a moron? Oh my god. If someone messed up my name, I would be pissed. Gonna expect me to come up and talk about myself after you butchered my name? You basically got the name right in a way. You got them mixed up. How many people out there are Harvey Kathleen? Probably nobody. Of course the class is yelling or laughing at her. And it's like, are you kidding me? Guy doesn't even really apologize. Like, would you like to come up and say something? I'm like, yeah, after you correctly pronounce my name, I will gladly get up there and say something. Of course, as she's walking up there, Amber's in the same class. She's like, Harvey. Luckily, the teacher, like, points a finger at Amber and says, like, you need to shut. He doesn't say it. He's like, zip it. Apparently, Casper decided to visit Kat at school because she's looking at the Mount Rushmore picture. And Casper's head is, like, right there. He's smiling at her. At least he gets a right name right. He's like, so, why don't you tell us something special about yourself, Kathleen? Has anyone ever d had to do this? Well, they went to a new school, they've been called out by the teacher, and they want you to come up and talk about yourself. So, she lets the teacher know it's Cat, actually. Of course, Amber's kind of going, meow, like a cat. And the teacher doesn't even bother to, like, point a finger. Like, I'd be like, okay, you need to go now. Goodbye. So Kat's just saying, you know, she moved here with her dad from Santa Fe. And we keep cutting to Amber, who's rolling her eyes. I'd be like, uh, I want to choke that girl out. I want to choke her out. But really, what else can she say about Friendship Maine other than it seems like a pretty friendly face? Place. I'm sorry. <laughs> I'm going based on the subtitles. <laughs> Someone's snoring, and then the kids all crack up laughing. Like, okay, you kids need to get out more in life and see what's actually funny. Two kids are wearing almost identical blue, white, black flannel shirts. A boy and a girl. So we cut down to the floor as Casper is tying people's shoes together. So the teacher asks, where are you living? And Kate mentions whipstaff. Laughter. Boom. Gone. They are shocked into silence, those kids. It was like, in outer space? Like, girl, you are a moron. So I like how Kate... Kat, why is he saying Kate? Kat is like, oh, no, uh, Whipstaff? And the whole... The class is like, oh, what did you say, Whipstaff? Their mouths are literally all on the floor, like, agape, like, what? Oh, oh you live there? Oh, oh my god. Well, I'm surprised they don't call her Wednesday Adams. So Kat's kind of looking at him like, oh, you've heard of it? And he's like, oh, this kid's like, you actually live there? Like, duh, you dummy. So Kat's kind of talking nice about Whipstaff. I mean, she laughed and like, oh, this creepy place. It's great for Stephen King. But she's like, yeah, I mean, it does look kind of funky and stuff from the outside. But on the inside, it's kind of cool. Okay, so this kid, I don't know his name. He's like, hey, Mr. Curtis, that's the teacher. Check this. We're dead for the Halloween dance, right? This girl's living in a creepy place that would be perfect for a Halloween dance. He's like, yeah, this girl's got a seriously creepy house with room to spare. This 
kid is basically volunteering Cat's house. That's not even really their house. They're just staying there while they vanquish the trio and Casper. Um, but he's just automatically volunteering her place. Amber, of course, is like, I thought we were having the party at my place. Ah! So Amber, of course, is taking over the class. Like, All right, whoever wants a party at my house, raise your hand. We'll take a vote. She's the only one. Teachers like whip staff, everybody raises their hands. Hey, that yeah coming from the kids because we only see their hands go up and we hear yeah, that sounded like a bunch of six-year-olds or eight-year-olds saying yeah. The bell rings, the kids get up to leave, and of course their shoes are all tied together and they trip right into the aisle. <laughs> like domino, domino effect. Now we get back to Whipstaff. We got the trio and Dr. Harvey having a session here. He's getting them to talk about crossing over, which they're not into. They are basically breaking all of Dr. Harvey's degrees that he has in psychology. And they go for the picture of Amelia, but Dr. Harvey grabs it like that, 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 not this, not this. This one's special to me. It's his wife who has passed. Okay, who? Oh, 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 what is this? I'm seeing a room that's got a head of a giraffe. It's got, I can't tell what that is through stretch. Um, some type of animal with horns. Um, I thought the guy who died, Kerrigan's father was into saving the animals, donating all this movie money to the dyslexic Dalmatians. I wasn't aware that Dalmatians had the ability to read. I guess they do. That's great. Um, or this could be, this is just a big plot hole. It's like then Casper's father maybe was a hunter. Cause that doesn't explain if Kerrigan's father owned that place after, like I bet anything, yeah, that, that kind of would make sense. Like, Casper's father died, and then the house went up for sale, and then Kerrigan's father bought the house, because Casper's from probably, what, the 30s or 40s or 20s or whatever? So then the house probably went through another owner, probably Kerrigan's father, and then Maybe he had a change at heart where he felt guilty for killing those wild animals. Because there's a zebra there, and they're exotic animals. Um, that maybe he's like, I feel bad for killing those animals. I want to do right. And, my, you know, in his sickness and everything, when he was passing, he wanted to make it right by donating money to all these animals. Animal foundations. I'm going to go with that. Oh, well, Stretch is like, hey, fatso, stinky. Don't be goofing on Amelia, right? She's as nice a person as they come. She's always been good to us. So Stinky's yeah, like, yeah, I mean, I got no complaints. She's always been an angel to me. Ding, ding, ding. She's an angel. And this raises a red flag with Dr. Harvey. Like, oh, wait, you know my wife? And they're like, oh, yeah, we know Amelia, of course. Well, Dr. Harvey's like, look, um, I could put off Crittenton if you could help me, you know, get a meeting, you know, with my wife so I can see her again. So they're like, yeah, we can do that. So like, oh, here, your wife. And we get this 
glowing whiteness. And then, of course, it's Fatso dressed in a in a woman's red dress. And she, like, ki- he kisses Dr. Harvey. It's like, you jerks. <laughs> Way to play with his heart like that. I said, have no, the trio has no interest in being, in, in crossing over. So, now we get a knock at the door. It's Vic. And Kat is surprised to see him on her doorstep, like, what are you doing here, basically? This kid's got a lot of nerve as he asks her, oh, can I come in? I'd be like, uh, first of all, no, I just met you today. You're not coming in here. Vic, of course, is bringing up the party. Did you ask your dad about it? And Kat's like, yeah, I did. He kind of hit the ceiling at first, but I think he's coming around to the idea. Of course, Casper, because Kat and Vic are out on the porch. Casper is, of course peeping through the window there. So, Vic is pretty much flat out asking her out, like, hey, look, if you're not hooked up with anybody, I don't know, you want to hang out with me at the party? And Casper, of course, is right behind Vic. Vic does not see him. And he's kind of doing the whole tugging on the ear thing, you know, shrugging the shoulders thing, acting all innocent and shy. She agrees to go with him. He's like, oh, right, right. Turns out it's just a setup as Amber is right there. So she's like, hey, did you ask her? And he's like, yeah. She's like, well, did she believe you? He's like, yeah, she did. This really bites. And she's like, no, this is absolutely perfect. Oh my god, this is such a Kerrigan and Deb scenario. It's like... Either, I don't know, Vic's, he, he seemed into Kat, so this whole change of, I'm really kind of wondering about Vic and whether or not he may be, I don't know, I don't know, maybe kind of sort of questioning Vic's, I don't know. Kat's a cute girl and everything, and Vic's a nice guy, maybe he's just not into Kat. Like, he's, like, putting on that he's into her when he's not really into her. Just giving, you know, these vibes. Like, he's not into Amber. He's not really into Kat. I mean, I could say he's a late bloomer, but seriously, they're, like, 13, 14 years old. If Vic plays for the other team, that's cool, man. That's cool. You don't gotta be pressured into going out with a girl that you don't like. Why is he under Amber's thumb? What did she... I think this is a blackmail situation. She knows that Vic is not into girls. And I think that she is like, I'm going to out you if you don't go out with this girl. So now we're in Kat's room. She's getting ready for bed, putting her hair back. She opens her jewelry box with their hair ties. Kat's there dancing with a little ballerina because it's a little music box thing. And he's like, hey, I'm a good dancer. Why don't you come with... I wish I could be your date to the dance and everything. And she's like, Casper, you can't. It wouldn't be right. And he's like, hey, what is this Vic guy that have that I don't have? She's like, a pulse, skin, a reflection. As Casper, Casper looks into the mirror and doesn't see a reflection. <laughs> Apparently, Vic also has a tan, which I didn't notice that at all. Casper's like, oh yeah, that's very bad for your skin. So, Casper puffs himself up into Superman, complete with the cape and the C on his chest. He grabs Cat by the wrist and basically takes her out into the sky 
right above the water. So Casper takes Cat out to the lighthouse. He says he comes out there like every single night. She's like, oh, by yourself? He's like, uh-huh. And she's asking him this these questions like, do you remember what it was like when you were alive? Like what your favorite song was or when you were a kid or anything like that. And he's like, no, I, I don't remember. And she asks about his dad. And she's like, not even your mom? You don't remember her either? And Casper doesn't even get irritated by this. And he actually asks her, like, is that bad? Like, what, that you can't remember? I'd be like, oh, it's just kind of sad, really. And, you know, I agree with Kat. It's like, that you can't remember anything from your past life. I mean, it's one thing if you don't want to remember and you choose to forget, but the fact that you can't. I remember watching this scene as a kid and really, because I was, you know, 12, 13 at the time, and just thinking that, you know, really buying into what they're saying, like thinking like, oh, wow, is that what it's like after death? Because I don't know. And there are many people out there that don't know what it's like after death and what happens. So that really kind of got to me, the idea that when we die, do we forget our previous life and, you know, the people that we left back on earth and everything. That's probably why people, some people have unfinished business. Especially those that pass away unexpectedly, like it wasn't planned or anything. They weren't old or they, they weren't sick and stuff like that. You know, like those that pass away in car accidents and, and other accidents and stuff. I mean, or even asking you guys, the, the audience and the listeners, like, this hard question, like, if you had a choice to stay behind granted you'd be a ghost and watch over your family granted you wouldn't be able to talk to them or really even they wouldn't know you're there but you'd still watch them or the idea of you know crossing over and just going to whatever your version you know of, of heaven would be I mean I I think I would want to cross over I think that if I if I personally knew that it's okay, I will see them when they eventually, you know, cross over and stuff. With that in mind, I'd be like, yeah, I'll cross over. I mean, as much as I would want to stay here and watch you all grow up and see that, it's like, I'd be comfortable waiting on the other side and just waiting for you to get there and stuff. Because you guys know, life is so very, very short, our time here on this earth, and I know I'm getting ethical and everything like that, um, but it really is, and the things we do and achieve and think about it, I don't think they're going to matter once we're gone. They might matter to those we leave behind, but to us, I don't know. I don't know, but this, this movie just kind of makes me think about that. It's, it's, it's sad. That Casper, and he's all alone. He's got these rotten uncles that I don't even think they're his real uncles. They're jerks to him. They're mentally and physically abusive. So we're back in Kat's room. She's trying to fall asleep. We have a picture, a little shrine here built to her mother with a picture and the candles lit. 
And Ketch is kind of pondering, like, I wonder why you don't remember anything. And Casper, you know, remember, he's 12 years old. He just feels, you know, life doesn't, maybe it feels like life doesn't matter that much anymore. I mean, because he's not living. He, he he's, he's dead. He says, you know, life doesn't matter anymore, so you forget. Cat, of course, worries that she's starting to forget her mom. Certain little things, you know, how she smells, her laugh, and just little things like that. And that's sad. I mean, my mom got sick before when I was really little. And the one thing I remembered that I didn't know, after she had her stroke, she really couldn't talk that much. And I could not remember her voice. And miraculously, um, there was a guy who had one of the first um, camcorders that ever came out on the market. And it was about 1983, 4-ish. And he went to my dad and he said, look, I have a tape here that's got, like, footage of, you know, he went to my dad. He's got, it's got footage of, you know, Darlene and the girls, you know, Nicole and I. Um, when Nicole was probably about 7-ish. And then, you know, me when I'm, like, a toddler. And it's, like, less than maybe two minutes long. But I, when I watched that, and I, like, listened, I'm like, is that her voice? Because I couldn't remember. I didn't know. I mean, I was too young to know what her voice actually sounded like before her stroke. And it was just so amazing getting to see a whole nother part of my mom. I mean, she still was sick with, you know, lupus and everything. And I could see, like, when she was in a crouched position, kind of her groaning as she was getting to her feet, like she was in pain and stuff. But I will treasure that. And I took that videotape and I transferred that to DVD. It's like, I will treasure that for the rest of my life. And I gave that to Nicole, and Nicole hadn't even seen it. And when she did, she even looked at me like, is that her voice? Because Nicole couldn't remember either what Mom's voice sounded like. So that was just, like, a happy little nugget of something that I wasn't expecting to happen to have. And an opportunity to be able to see her, you know, talking and, and moving, you know, as normally as she could be. So Kat asked an important question here, since they were talking about Casper, you know, not remembering anything from his previous life. And she's like, Casper, if my mom's a ghost, did she forget about me? <laughs> That's Kat's fear. Casper's like, no, she'd never forget you. And Kat is lying in bed, and Casper, I think, is just his adoration of Kat. Like, oh no, you're you're unforgettable. You know, in his mind, it's like she's just the most beautiful creature that ever walked into his life, and he's just fascinated with her. You know, he's got a crush on her, and she's his friend and everything like that. So, Kat is pretty much just about asleep. And Casper's like, Cat, if I were human, would you go to the Halloween dance with me? And you hear her barely say, mm-hmm. And then he whispers this, Cat, can I keep you? And she mm-hmm. Of course he kisses her without her permission. And she's like, Casper, close the window. It's cold. Or I'm cold. And Casper kind of realizes then and there, it's like, that's all Cat is he's not going to be able to have a body. He's not going to be able to 
to hold Cat and be any more than just a ghost, a friend. So, of course, the Halloween dance comes up at the breakfast table, and her father is just like, oh, I'm sure we could roll you in some aluminum foil and you could go as a leftover. Like, I'm sure that I could whip something up. Ugh. Okay, it's like, no, Dad, actually, I want to be able to, I don't want to just be cute and cuddly like a bear or a kitten or whatever. She wants to be looked at as, you know, attractive, a, a nice costume for a teenage girl. Nothing too, too flirty or whatever, but something that would make a certain boy find her attractive. She's got his Visa card. So she says, I don't want to look cute. I want to look nice. Like date nice. And of course, he finally looks at her and is like, oh, okay. So he's like, oh, uh, you know, honey, I think it's time that we sat down. And uh, and Kat's like, it's a little late for that, dad. And he just kind of looks at her with this, like, weird, uh, nervous look like uh how late and she's like oh don't worry <laughs> not that late trust me <laughs> like mom already gave me the sex talk <laughs> oh uh turns out um miss crittenton has not paid him so they are living at that place with next to no money and that visa card that cat is holding is pretty worthless it's not gonna get you much oh cat just hands him back the visa card and like look don't i'll find something nice for the party and then of course we hear the trio all it's my party and i'll die if i want to <laughs> and of course cat side eyes the camera like dad can you please promise they won't crash my party and he's like well do my best we are working things out in therapy so maybe <laughs> like dude you have no control over these ghosts they run that house so Dr. Harvey goes in for his next session with the ghost trio and they has... Stretch is the one who's running the show. He's pretty much the head honcho of the trio, like telling them what to do, what to think, ordering them around. And he's like, no, it's happy hour time as they whisk Dr. Harvey away to basically get him drunk. We see in the window, Dibs and Kerrigan are kind of looking through the window, seeing what's going on, if any progress is being made, as they see the ghosts whisk Dr. Harvey away. And mind you, that treasure that Kerrigan really was after, she's still gung-ho about finding that. But she figures Dr. Harvey's away, Dibs and I can kind of look around and... Because Wiggly, that place, belongs to Kerrigan. And Dr. Harvey is pretty much just the caretaker while he's trying to get the, you know, the trio out of there. So Kat's up in the attic looking at stuff in old boxes. And she's got a surprise for Casper. And it's all his old toys from his childhood back in, like, the 30s or 40s. There's really cool... Um, carousel, there's a huge looking toy Ferris wheel, a gazebo, little toy gazebo, um, a little toy, what looks like maybe a little lion is inside a circus cage. 
on wheels. It's really cool that all these toys are starting to spark some memories for Casper. Like, maybe that's what he needed, was to see familiar things. It's almost like, um... Say it's something you haven't seen since your childhood and you forgot about and you automatically, like, when I was working um, at Goodwill one time, I was looking, you know, through the kid books, and there was this book, a little, like, small golden book that just happened to be there, and I started flipping through it, and immediately, it's like a memory came to my mind of me as like a four-year-old sitting on the floor of my bedroom looking at this book. I can't even, I don't even, it was like Goldilocks, similar to Goldilocks and the Three Bears, but I'm not sure what it was called, but some lady ended up getting a, a bunch of, you know, the kids' books that were like 40 cents or something. She got it for a couple little kids that I really didn't think were going to care about it as much as... I did. I mean, if they hadn't bought it, I bet I would have, just for memory's sake. But it's little things like that, that jog, they hit a certain spot in your brain that hasn't been touched for ages. It's like in the movie Bruce Almighty with the long filing cabinet of every memory and every thought that Jim Carrey's character ever had was in this filing cabinet. And it's almost like things after a while to replace new memories, old ones get shoved in the back of a filing cabinet and don't get let out until something is there to trigger it. Um, so, okay, Casper's real name was Casper because there is a human hand with five fingers, a human child hand with five fingers, handprint that says Casper. It apparently has a toy train that goes around on a track around the room named Hootie. That's a clever name. So even higher up, because this is a huge manor that's got at least four to five to six floors, um, even higher up is where Casper's found his mother's dress and it almost looks like it could be an old wedding dress and he puts it on cat it's a little big a little big but not by much and he's like that was my mom's she's like oh casper this is perfect he's also got a baseball a blue baseball hat with a yellow b on the front so my guess is that's got to be way back from when like baseball was like invented practically like back in the 30s well i don't know best Baseball was invented back in the 1930s, but it had been going on for a little bit longer than that. So, well, Kat is checking out her reflection and how the dress looks on her in the tall mirror there. Casper finds the sled, which leads to a very dark memory. Sadly, we learn how Casper died. So his dad had gotten him, the Casper, the sled, and then he acted like... Casper couldn't have it because he didn't know how to ride it. And then one morning, Casper came down for breakfast and it was just there waiting for him to ride. So Casper took the sled out, went sledding like all day from like 8 a.m. to like 9 p.m. Just couldn't stop. Didn't even come in for dinner or lunch. He just, I'm going to sled all day, all day, every day up and down this hill until there's no more snow. Casper's dad told him like, hey, that's enough. Please come into the house. Casper couldn't stop. He's like, I'm having too much fun. 
And then Casper gets more sadder as he's saying, it got late, and then it got dark, and got cold. And Casper says, and I got sick, and my dad got sad. So Kat sits down next to him in Casper's mother's dress, and she asks him, what's it like to die? And Casper's like, like being born, but backwards. So Casper said, I remember I didn't go where I was supposed to go. He said that he stayed behind so his dad wouldn't be lonely. My guess is the mother probably died from grief. Or maybe, what if she had been committed or something? So his father creates this Lazarus machine, which is Lazarus from the Bible. So here's pretty much this Lazarus of Bethany, also known as St. Lazarus or Lazarus of the Four Days, venerated in the Eastern Orthodox Church as Lazarus, the four days dead after he rose again, is the subject of a prominent miracle of Jesus in the Gospel of John, in which Jesus restores him to life four days after his death. The Eastern Orthodox and Roman Catholic traditions offer varying accounts of the later events of his life. Alright, yeah. So, there are a bunch of newspaper articles here with headlines that say, McFadden Youth Dies. It says, Pneumonia Claims Life of 11-Year-Old. Maybe Casper died on his 12th birthday, I don't know. Um, let's see. Father Invention Machine Mysterious Activity at Whipstaff Manor. Father invents resurrection machine to raise dead. These newspaper headings are all in shadow. Cat picks up a picture and asks, is that your dad? See, inventor J.T. McFadden declared legally insane. Oh my gosh. It says, McFadden claimed that he was haunted by the ghost of his dead son. And that he invented a machine to bring him back to life. So this little piece of information about this machine called the Lazarus jogs a memory in Casper's brain. He's like, the Lazarus! My dad, the machine he invented, he hid it away so nobody could find it, but I don't know where it is. He, he of course, can't, can't travel through walls like he can. So he's like, well, I guess we're going to have to take the long way He's like, wait till you see it. It's going to be so great. Granted, Kerrigan and Dibs are now in the house, and they've overheard. Like, oh boy. This for keeps forgetting, like, um, Kat's a human. She cannot go through walls like you. Turns out that wall actually turns into a hidden room, and she is on at the balcony and looks over. She sits in this velvet chair that is hooked up to this would be a cool ride at universal because he pushes a lever that sends kate flying backwards in this chair she heads down um some stairs which go flat and then she goes into the floor and this is like a whole haunted house <sighs> like dark and spooky and foggy she's going so fast she has to shut her her eyes are shut of course, this machine's got a bunch of stuff connected to it as she's riding down. It's like puff balls for the face, 
for his complexion. Toothbrush, shaving cream, razors, which looks like also like spray hoses from a car wash. <coughs> rinse him off. This is a creepy machine. Also like um a hair dryer thing. It, it's almost like she's in a moving car wash. And now we get these ginormous combs that look like, because they're one on each side of her face and then one up top. The, oh, I bet those were to comb those lamb chop uh, or mutton chop sideburns if the guy had them. And, of course, a bow tie. Casper, when the ride finally stops, um, Casper says, well, my dad had a little trouble getting up in the morning. So, unbeknownst to Casper and Cat, Dibs and Kerrigan are now down there. Casper mentions the vault, which, of course, you know, Kerrigan's dollar sign eyes are like, oh, yeah, that's right, the treasure's in there, I bet. And Kat's like, well, Casper, where's the machine at? And it's below this, what looks like a, a murky fog-covered floor. And he's like, well, I know that there's a way to raise it, but I'm not sure. So he's playing with some levers, shoving them up and down. And Kat is kind of looking at, there's some papers that are down there. And she's just going through, there's instructions that are just basically drawings and words that she can't make anything out of them. There's what looks like a book cover called Frankenstein, but it turns out that's where the lever is that's going to raise the blaster. So there's also a old microscope. He hits the button, presses it, and that's what makes the machine raise. So the whole thing looks like um, one of those things that would go like under, not a submarine, but it's got the same metal structure. It makes me think of... Um, that water contraption, if you've seen Stranger Things, um, when Dr. Brenner would have Eleven go into this water tank, but where it even looks like hmm, just a metal enclosed face that has one of those, you know, turny lever things on the front of the door. So Kate finds a vial that's got red liquid in it, and she's like, what is this? And, and Casper's like, whoa, 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 careful, don't, don't touch that. That's, he says it's kind of an instant primordial, primordial soup mix. <laughs> it's basically what makes the machine work. And Casper's looking at it, and like, all right, it's just enough for one. So basically one life. Casper's excited because he's going to be human, as Kate pulls one of the levers which opens the door and he's so excited because he can't wait to be human. That's all he's ever wanted. Especially now that Cat's around that he's got a friend. Possible love interest if he becomes a human. This is really overwhelming for Cat. There are a lot of levers that probably do a lot of different things and she's like, gosh, I couldn't even get my Easy Bake Oven to work. So we see the chair go back up. We also see a hand reach out and pull out the Lazarus mix vial and that basically shuts the machine down so inside the metal door in this room that's got a velvet covered chair for someone to sit in while the procedure happens casper is basically a fried egg 
He's like, hey, did it work? I'm human, right? And she's like, uh, not really, Casper. So now we got Kerrigan trying to wrangle Dibs into being killed so that way he can be a ghost and get the treasure because that's the only way he's going to, you know, neither of them can figure out how to get into that locked vault. And it's like she's basically trying to get him to be on the side of, oh, it's okay, you'll be a ghost for a minute, and then we got this Lazarus, this thing, vile here, that will make you human again. It's no big deal. And it's, I, I don't want to do that. Kerrigan's got such a cartoonish scream voice. It's really... So she's going after Dibs with this old-fashioned armor suit. No, he's wearing the armor suit, and she's got this old like, medieval apps that she's charging around with, like, oh, it'll, why are you such a weenie, Debs? It'll be over in a second. You won't feel a thing, I promise you. And he's, like, putting some brown liquid on the floor that she supposedly slips on and goes crashing through this window and falls off a ledge onto the ground, yet she's magically fine and she's in her Range Rover trying to run over Debs who throws a decapitated statue head at her windshield. And she's like, you're taking this way too personally, Dibs. And she winds up on the edge of a cliff, not realizing it, because her windshield is just cracked. And the airbag goes off. She opens the door, boom, falls straight down this cliff. So, of course, Dibs is on the cliff calling the Karen Kerrigan. Oh, what a waste. She had my favorite sunglasses. <laughs> that was funny. Oh, she became a ghost really, really fast as Dibs is walking away. And you see the shadow raise up lurking behind him. And he's just like, oh, what, what? Oh, my gosh. It's like, and she's like, back. Like, ugh. I cut to the bar because we haven't seen Dr. Harvey in the trio for a while. Yeah, they're getting him drunk at a bar. And he's singing karaoke. Dr. Harvey is singing to Jailhouse Rock. He's just drunk. And meanwhile, we got the trio, you know, sucking down drinks and whatever. And they're like, hey, well, like I said, Stretch is pretty much the one behind the whole, he's the what I say goes guy. It's like, look, we've been a trio for a long time here, and I think it's time we made it a quartet. They're going to kill Dr. Harvey because they figure, oh, he's got his long, miserable life ahead of him. We'd be doing a, f a favor by knocking him off. So they got a shotgun and a spear gun behind them, and now we get the Can't Help Falling in Love With You song. And Har uh, Dr. Harvey is just, like, stumbling around but now it's time to get sentimental. <coughs> and he's telling the trio how much he loves them and cares about them. You guys are really great. And he kisses them all on the cheek. Well, Har Dr. Harvey turns around and, of course, they gotta hide their weapons, even though these the trio is see-through. Dr. Harvey's like, can I say something here? And they're like, oh, yeah, sure. He's like, get a little personal. <laughs> As he tells them the mic. <laughs> So he's stumbling around. And I gotta think, there's a barkeep there, right? And this guy can't, I don't think he can see these ghosts. 
So he's probably thinking this guy is so far sauced that he's talking to nobody. Because <laughs> he's been singing karaoke to probably other people that are most likely passed out from drinking. Um... He's like, you guys remind me of what it's like to hang out with the boys, you know what I'm saying? <laughs> and he's just amazed at how those three are just, they're there for each other. It's like, I mean, you look life right in the face. And you say, I'm a ghost. I don't need you. Mm. <laughs> I just love this. It's so funny. So he can't even pronounce Crittenden's name at this point. I'm gonna tell that lady, you ain't going anywhere. It's your house. You're haunting it. <laughs> this is so funny. Possession is nine-tenths of the law. <laughs> he is so far sauced, it is... <laughs> I'm like, no, you wouldn't do that for us, would you? Yes, I would. He puts an arm around Stretch and Stinky. He's like, ah, I didn't think so at first, but you guys are great. Like, I love you guys. Kisses Stinky right on the lips! And kisses Stretch right on the cheek. And of course he kisses Fatso right on the lips. Like, no, no, no. Th they are changed ghosts. They like Dr. Harvey. Like, I can't kill him now. So, Dr. Harvey like, slams a, a glass down, breaks it. He's like, alright, boys! The night is young, uh-huh. And he starts walking backwards to, uh, not even looking where he's going, you know, he's walking backwards, and there's a notice on the door that says, says open ditch. He opens the doors, not even bothering to look behind him. There's, like, one of those sawhorse-type caution board, you know, to keep you out, and a orange triangle sign that says, open ditch. Like, we are gonna clean out every bar in this town. And, of course, Fetzo's, you know, the trio are like, oh, no, 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 we're gonna booze it until we lose it. Of course, the doors close on him, falling backwards into this ditch. How deep is this ditch? He's basically dead. Um, Cat, now we're back at Whipstaff by the Lazarus machine. And Cat has got one of these old things that you use to, like, fan a flame. One of, It's almost, like, accordion-looking that you, like, push it together. She's trying to re-inflate Casper. Granted, now Kerrigan's back. She was able to get into the vault to bring out the treasure. So... Casper's like, that's my treasure. And she's like, no, you mean my treasure. And Kat's like, Miss Crittenton? And uh, Crittenton's like, or Kerrigan's like, in the flesh. Well, in a couple minutes. As in, she's going to use that Lazarus liquid and make herself human again. But Dibs is coming down on the chair and he's got the Lazarus liquid. And he's like, she's like, what are you doing, Kerrigan? Uh, uh, Kerrigan is, and he's like, I'm helping you, remember? And she, of course, does, and he's like, I have this. Kat's like, no, that's Casper's. You stole that from him. She tried to kill him. Are you serious? Casper, luckily, is one step ahead as he stops that chair. Right in its traps. So, Casper pokes 
dibs in the chest, causing him to fall backwards into the water. And he grabs quickly the Lazarus liquid Casper does, hands it to Kat, sends her up in the chair because Halloween party, guests are there. She's got to go up and take care of them. There is only one chaperone, that teacher, with like 20 plus students there. So she leads the teacher and the classmates into the house, into the whatever part you want to call that. While Vic and Amber have split off from the group and they're sneaking into the place, Amber is basically white face makeup. She's got red blood, like, dripping from her neck, almost like, uh, like she sliced her neck or whatever, like, ooh. They're being huddled into the entryway of the house. We hear Kerrigan's, <laughs> you know, cackle from downstairs as they're trying to get into that locked box of treasure. Dibs is trying to get at that treasure with a crowbar. He's not having any luck. Cat comes back down with the vial of Lazarus liquid and Casper's there. Dibs is threatening Casper with a crowbar, which, what are you going to do? Casper's dead. He's like, don't come near me, you spiteful spook, or I'll knock you into the next world. And Cat's kind of got an arm against Casper, like, Casper, don't, just don't. And Casper actually growls at Dibs. So Cat puts the vial back into the Lazarus machine, like, all right, Casper, you're up at bat. It's your turn to get in the oven again. In the oven. I don't like that. I am so sorry. I should not have said that. Um, into the um, Lazarus machine, excuse me. But when they open the door to it, Kerrigan pops out. And she's saying, hey, poppin' fresh. It's my turn in the oven. And she's yelling at Dibs, get this thing going. Dibs has got the treasure Sets it down. He's like, ah, Kerrigan, how kind of you to drop in. Like, finally, he's had enough of her crap and taking orders from her. Like, I'm done. You're a ghost. What are you going to do to me? Nothing. So, Dibs pretty much seems like he's going to be calling the sh shots. He's got the Lazarus juice, Lazarus liquid. He's like, this is the only thing that can make you a human again, and I got it. What are you going to do? He's like, you can haunt me all you want. Oh, he's like, I learned a lesson from you. Always kick them when they're down. And baby, you are six feet under. What are you going to do to me? Like, I've got my, you can haunt me all you want. I'm going to be in a gigantic house with lovely purple wallpaper. Great big green carpet. This guy's wearing green. And a little dog named Kerrigan. Just like you. He's like, I got the power, I got the treasure. And she's like, you got a flight to catch. As she slams him through a window. And we don't see him for the rest of the movie. He's done. He's gone. He's... Well, if she survived going through a window and was able to get in her Range Rover, how is he not still alive? So, she's got the Lazarus liquid, Kerrigan does, and she looks at Cat and Casper like, any other takers you want to try to take me on? And Casper's like, no, but are you forgetting something? And she's like, no, I'm not. It's like, well, what about your unfinished business? So Kat kind of takes over, like, your unfinished business. She has no idea what they're talking about. You know, that's why they don't cross over, because ghosts, you know, they have unfinished business. And, of course, Kerrigan's like, I have no unfinished business. I have my treasure. 
treasure, my mansion, I have everything. He's like, I'm just perfect. As a beam of light goes through her and she realizes, yep. I, and she's like, no, no, no. I mean, I, I, do, I do have unfinished business. Like, too late. You already said you don't. You're crossing over. Bye. Wouldn't want to be where you're going. <laughs> they didn't trick you at all, Kerrigan. You're just an idiot. So, Cat catches the Lazarus liquid and... Casper's treasure is revealed, which is a baseball and a baseball mitt that is very old. So it's an autographed baseball that's really dirty and gross. And he's like, it's autographed by my favorite player, player, Duke Snyder of the Brooklyn Dodgers. So there was, in fact, a Edwin Donald Duke Snyder. Nicknamed the Silver Fox and the Duke of Flatbush, was an un was an American professional baseball player. Usually signed to center field, he spent most of his major league baseball career dodging or playing for the Brooklyn and Los Angeles Dodgers. Later, playing one season each for the New York Mets and San Francisco Giants. He was born in 1926 and died in February 27, 2011. Looking at these baseball cards of Duke Snyder from 1955-1957, but the picture of Casper's father is looks like of the Victorian era, like the 1920s or something, or early 1900s. I don't know. So, Cat's like, okay, we don't have time to play with your baseball and mitt. We need to get you human. With the Lazarus liquid. So into the machine you go. Right before. However. Revealed. Sadly. That her father. Dr. Harvey. Is now a ghost. Now Cat is an orphan. Oh my god. This is not good. Now Cat's like. Accusing. Like definitely. The trio. It's like. What have you done to him? And. Stretch is all like. Nothing. He's just a little dead. So, there's a big difference here between the trio and ghost Dr. Harvey. Dr. Harvey's got glasses, he's got hair, he's got his green cardigan. So, Kat, of course, knows, like, if he's a ghost, he's not going to remember her. So, she's like, Dad, it's me, it's Cat, And he's like, Cat, Cat, Cat Baloo, I don't know who that is. And, of course, the trio's not any help when they're, like, catastrophic, catatonic, creplac soup. Like, ugh, God, stop. This is a stressful situation, and you're not helping. Granted, why would they, right? So, Kat's crying. She's just like, Dad, don't you remember? And she sticks up her pinky. And Dr. Harvey is like, oh, I remember. And he does a basically pull-your-finger joke. And she's like, no, no, this. As she links her pinky with his. And finally, it clicks. Like, oh, honey, I'm so sorry. I didn't mean to. What have I done? And she's just crying. And her breaks for her. It's like, she's, you're dead. What can you do for her? She's an orphan now. Casper, of course, sees that his only shot at being human now is down the toilet. And he takes Dr. Harvey by the hand and says, Come on, Dr. Harvey. You need this more than I do. As in, you need to be human and take care of your daughter. So, 
He gets into the machine, proves the liquid works. He is human again. Casper, of course, is happy for the reunion, but of course, that was his one shot to be human. He sacrificed his one chance for her to be reunited with her father. That is a friend there. Of course, Cat's party is upstairs, happening without her. Casper's like, oh, you better get to your party. And she and her dad are up there kind of looking down above at the party going on. And she's like, what about you? And he's like, hey, this is your party. You go do your thing. I'll be all right. So now we cut to Amber and Vic, which I'm happy we never see them again after this. They're looking in this large mirror, and she's Amber is on Vic's shoulders with the white face makeup and the bloody neck. And she's dressed in, like, a white uh, bed sheet or whatever. And Vic's like, oh, I want to see. Let me see. And I'm like, okay, this guy is definitely into his appearance. He's just, uh, which is cool. I mean, granted... These guys definitely deserve, Amber especially deserved the trio treatment from Stinky, Stretch, and Faso to get scared the heck out of and go running out of that party. They're, of course, Amber as Vic is running with Amber on his shoulders. Amber gets clotheslined by the decorations, and she falls off of his shoulders, and Vic is basically dragging her out of the house. Of course, the class just thinks it's part of the whole, like, yeah, that's great, as they all clap. So, Casper's pretty much having a dull time up with his toys while Cat's down at his party. You know, he, he lost his one chance to be human, and then he sees this light. And we see this woman with dark curly hair and a red dress appear before him. She appears before him. He's like, you're... And she's like, yep. He's like, you're... That's right. And she tosses the ball baseball back to him. He's like, Cat's mom? She's like, uh-huh. <laughs> so he asks her, are you an angel? And she kind of... It seems like she nods. She's got this white light projecting from, you know, above her. And she says, that was a very noble thing you did tonight, Casper. And she says, I know Kat will never forget it. She needs her father. And she also tells Casper, I know your father will never forget it either. And he just drops that baseball. Like, well, you know my dad? And she tells him, you fulfilled his greatest dream, Casper, you know, with his machine. Oh my gosh, I love this. And she tells him that his father is very, very proud of him. And for tonight, she is going to grant Casper his one true wish of being human. She says it's just for tonight. It's sort of a Cinderella deal. And he's like, great, so I have till midnight? And she's like, ten. And he's like, hey, Cinderella got till midnight. And she tells Casper, yes, but Cinderella wasn't 12 years old. Like, yeah, she's still a mother at heart. Like, yeah. <laughs> this is such a beautiful song. Remember Me This Way by Jordan Hill. It's so beautiful. And we go to the top of the stairs and we see this young boy with blonde hair wearing a billowy 
pirate shirt walking down and everyone just watches him. Like, who is this boy? They don't recognize him. They're a class of, like, 25 kids. They've never seen him before. And Cat, poor Cat, she's just sitting alone by herself. No one's asked her to dance. The whole time we see the back of this boy's head, we don't know that he's Casper yet. Or maybe we do, because, you know, Cat's mom granted him that one wish. So Cat takes the hand of this blonde-haired boy, and he's got her hand up and kind of twirling her as she faces him, and we finally see him. It's Devin. And Devin's hair, he's got no bangs here. It's basically parted down the middle, and his bangs are more, like, poofed up, kind of curled at the front, sort of, like, little, like, hoops. And just kind of feathered back. It's really, really, really cute. This is the face that stared back at me from my wall. She doesn't even realize it's Casper until she, she, she's got her arms wrapped around behind his neck. And she looks down and realizes they're both like floating like six inches off the ground. And she realizes that and just clings to him. No one else realizes this couple is, like, floating six inches above the ground. I told you I was a good dancer. <laughs> Can I keep you? Casper? <laughs> he only has, like less than five minutes of screen time. His lines are, told you I was a good dancer. Can I keep you? 11 words, guys. 11 words of dialogue is what Devin has in this movie, and that is, like, it. So, she looks at him, like, Casper? And he does, like, a, a, a little bit of a quirk, like, half, half smile. And she clings to him, and he kind of, like, like leans back just a little, like, he's taken by surprise. Like, oh, she likes me in this form. <coughs> now we go up to the balcony, and Dr. Harvey is visited by a special familiar somebody. He's like, it's all right, it's just me. He's like, Amelia. And it's just, this is the one thing he's wanted for years, just to find his wife and see her again and have a chance to talk to her. He's just like, I thought I'd have a hundred things to say when I saw you again. And he's just like, how? And she's like, well, let's just say three crazy ghosts. You know three crazy ghosts who kept their word. I knew they were good for something, right? Seriously? <laughs> and she tells him that I know that you've been searching for me, but there's something you have to understand. She says, you and Kat loved me so well when I was alive that I have no unfinished business. Like, wow. Wow. And she says, please don't let me be yours. And I'm thinking, when I originally watched this, I didn't get it. But now that I'm an adult, I'm thinking about it as, don't let me be your in unfinished business because he has basically been obsessed with this. He went from being a regular psychiatrist to working with a paranormal in hopes that he would eventually find his wife dragging his daughter 
through all 50 states back and forth over the course of two years she went to nine different schools in hopes that he would find his wife that's what he's been searching for he pleads with him like please stop looking for me and he admits like i really don't know what i'm doing here you know when it comes to you know raising his daughter and she's just like what parent does she tells him that cat is growing up beautifully because of him. And he says, no wonder I miss you so much. But she's got a couple things for him, too. Uh, yeah, you need to work on. <laughs> don't pick up the extension every time she gets a phone call. As in, don't pick up the other phone and listen in on her phone conversations. French fries are not a breakfast food. They probably have been going to, like, fast food for all... I mean, if they're on the road, they're going to fast food for every meal. And, of course, don't ask her to wear a t-shirt. And he finishes, like, oh, under her bathing suit. Yes, I get it. <laughs> because Cat is developing, and he's probably like, no, you don't need to let other people show that you're developing. They don't need to see that. Like, both agree, like, yes, our daughter is a teenager. Like, yes, she is. Let her proceed as such. So she runs her fingers through his hair and he takes her hand and just holds it to us just to, for a little while longer. Sadly, 10 o'clock. Casper, your time is up, buddy. You should have been watching that clock. Because he's looking at it like, oh, just a little longer, please. I just want this moment to last. And it, Dr. Harvey, it splits between this and, you know, Cat and Cas human Casper down below. It's like, where are you going? And she says, where I can watch over both of you until we're together again. And with those last words, she disappears. And we get Cat pulling away. By then, now everyone's stopped dancing and are all looking at Cat and this boy. And Cat just kind of looks at him with a confused look on her face like, Casper? It's like, yeah, we already did this. And he figures, like, this is my one true last chance to do what I've always wanted to do. Kiss, be able to kiss Cat and have her feel that without, like, Casper, it's cold. Shut the window. As he's kissing her, he is starting to turn back into his ghostly form. Of course, Cat is surprised. Like, whoa. And so is everyone else. And Casper, of course, turns around. It's like, uh, boo? And everyone screams and just runs out. That looked like 50 plus kids. That did not look like one classroom of eighth graders. So Cat and Casper are there. And Cat's like, hey, not bad for my first party, huh? And he's like, oh yeah. Couldn't have been better. Of course, Dr. Harvey comes out. He's like, it ain't over yet, boys. As we see the trio playing music like all right let's have a real party just the f six of us they're all dressed like little richard as the movie ends with little richard singing casper the friendly ghost as dr harvey and cat are dancing to the music <laughs> dang that is gonna be a fun time picking up well casper can the other guys can help too all three of them, Casper and Cat and Dr. Harvey, are all doing a little uh, square dancing dance thing. That's kind of cool. And Casper spells out the end. So this says, introducing Malachi Pearson as the voice of Casper. It's like, he's been on other things before Casper came around, so. 
Alright, so that's the movie. I hope you all enjoyed it. I tried to make this a bit shorter so it's not over three hours long. I really want to try to do that to get the, the movie times down so I'm not splitting them into two parts and I'm not making them over three hours long. So, alright. Have a great Halloween. Bye-bye, everybody.